So we'll start with our prayer for the catechumens. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who does continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is B the B, 41, with Steve. Everybody, this is Steve, and I wonder, what do you call her? Lots of people call this amazing saint the Virgin Mary, but in the Orthodox tradition, you see that most people call her either the Panagia, which means the All-Holy One, or even better, the Theodokos, which means the one who gave birth to God. And the honor of the is the greatest of saints, more honorable than the cherubim and more glorious beyond compare than the seraphim. And tomorrow, August 1st, we start fasting for two weeks to prepare ourselves for the remission, which we celebrate every year on August 15th. And one way to prepare ourselves for this feast is to better understand why the word Theotokos is so important, and why some people find it to be so confusing. I mean, God is uncreated, so he doesn't have a beginning. And he's bodiless, so he can't be born. So, how can God have a mother? Before we answer that, remember, the cool thing about saints is that it's not about them. It's not about their honor or their glory. We honor saints because of their union with Christ. Because they point us back to Him. And that's why the word Theotokos is so important. In the early church, there were some who didn't want to call the Virgin Mary the Theotokos. Instead, they wanted to call her the Christotokos, the one who gave birth to Christ. And the church is like, yeah, God, she gave birth to Christ, but who's Christ? So in the year 431, the church met in the city of Ephesus for the Third Ecumenical Council and affirmed that the Virgin Mary is indeed the Theotokos because she gave birth to Christ, a person who is both fully human and fully divine. That's the mystery of the Incarnation, which we celebrate every Christmas. Click here for more. You see, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has always existed. But before there was a universe, before there was time, before there was a before, he who was without flesh, the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, true God of true God, put on flesh. The Word of God, who existed invisibly before all time, took on everything that makes us human. Body, soul, mind, emotions, you name it. In other words, the Son of God became human. And just like all children are born of mothers, Christ was born of a mother. Though her son also happens to be the Son of God the Father. The Theotokos played an incredible part in God revealing himself to the world. In fact, we can call her the greatest missionary of all time, because she shared Christ with us, literally. We take the Theotokos so seriously, and hold her in such high regard, because the Incarnation is a really serious thing. The wall of alienation between God and man has been shattered. Nothing is as it was. Salvation has come into the world. And that salvation isn't abstract. It's very real. It's very personal. Our salvation comes in being united to Christ, in being a literal part of his body. As St. Paul said, all those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And we can see this truth laid out for us very clearly at the foot of the cross. In his gospel account, St. John tells us of the moment when Christ looked down from the cross. And so the Theotokos and his beloved disciple, probably St. John himself, standing side by side. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. To be a Christian is to be incorporated into Christ's body, to be literally united with Christ. And to do that is to gain the ability to call Christ's father our father. And just as Christ's father becomes our father, Christ's mother becomes our mother. 
We honor Mary as the Theotokos because our salvation is real. The Son of God has become human and has given to us the gift of never-ending life with Him in His kingdom. He became human by being born, just like all of us were born. He was born to the greatest of saints, a woman so loving and so humble that we rarely see her in icons by herself. She shared Christ with the world by giving birth to Him, the Son of God. And she continues to share Christ with the world because every time we look at her, she points us Right back to him. So let's be the bee and honor our mother, the mother of God. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe. I'll see you all next week. Okay. So, today we're talking about the Theotokos. And one of the ways we're going to talk about her is all the different titles that, that she's had throughout the history of the church. Um, she, as he, he said, is the greatest of the saints um, because she was uh, the instrument for the incarnation, which is, of course, essential to our salvation. Right? Um, here's how important she is in the church. So Pascha, Easter, is the Feast of Feasts, right? After that, we have what we call the 12 Great Feasts of the Orthodox Church. The 12 Great Feasts of the Orthodox Church are those feasts where, whether they fall on Sunday or not, we are obligated to be in church. Okay? So one of those that doesn't fall on Sunday, for example, is the Ascension. It always falls on a Thursday. Why? Because it's 40 days after Easter, and Easter always falls on Sunday, right? So, even though it's a Thursday, we're obligated to be in church, because that's one of the 12 great feasts of the church, right? Of those 12 great feasts, four of those are feasts of the Theotokos, right? Eight are of Christ, but four are of the Theotokos, okay? So, um, and it kind of gives us an, an idea as to the importance of what they are, um, the first one is the Nativity of the Theotokos, which is on September 8th. And you're miserable, aren't you? <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. I took everything I could possibly take this morning. Yeah, and I'll just you know what? Uh, yeah, and I've noticed that sometimes if I take something, then that causes me to sneeze. <laughs> it's, it's like you can't win. So we have the Nativity of the Theotokos, which is what? The birth. The birth, right. The nativity. We have, and that's on September 8th. We have the presentation of the Theotokos on November 21st. Is that your birthday? <laughs> What's the presentation? When she's presented to the temple. Yes. Okay. The tradition of the church says she was three years old and that she was then raised in the temple in preparation for becoming the mother of God. Um, the Annunciation, March 25th. Well, you know, that's a minor feast compared to the big feast that day is, of course, Greek Independence Day. But uh, <laughs> it's the Annunciation. So what was that? What was the Annunciation? March 25th. Exactly. The angel announced unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Ghost. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Right? So the angel announced unto Mary. So, so basically the conception of Christ. Um... On a, a, we, but we call it the Annunciation. 
And then finally, um, the Dormition of the Theotokos is August 15th. What was that? Okay, yeah. And what does Dormition mean? We talked falling about that. Asleep. The falling asleep. See, this may be a short class because it's like... Okay. <laughs> now, there are other feasts that we celebrate in the church, some of which are Eastern Rite only. Okay, they're not... We have this thing where we have the Eastern calendar and the Western calendar. And there are some feasts that we share universally, right? The Incarnation, Pascha, uh, the big feasts are celebrated on the same date in both East and West, right? There are some feasts, though, that either are celebrated on different days or they're celebrated in one in the East but not the West or vice versa, okay? Um, on... October 1st is a feast known as the Protection of the Theotokos. Okay? That's on, it's not on, uh, on our calendar, but it's uh, celebrated by our Eastern Rite brethren. Anybody know what that one was? Yeah. It's when Mary appeared at some place and by her mantle protected them from being slaughtered by some army that mm-hmm. was going to get them. Okay. Do you know where it was? No. It was Constantinople. Okay. It was. It was. No, no, and and yeah, you got it. You 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 knew more about it, you know, than most people. Um, The protection of the Theotokos. uh, The story was that um, it was before the conversion of the Rus, right? Uh, Before Prince Vladimir turned all the Russians into Orthodox, uh, they were still pagan, and they came to attack Constantinople while the main Byzantine army was away fighting, I believe, the Persians. So the city was almost undefended. And so what they did was they took an icon, the patriarch took an icon of the Theotokos and led everybody in procession around the city. Right? And the Russian fleet that was offshore, um, as they were trying to land, a wind came up and blew them back out to sea. Right? Saving the city from invasion. Right? So there is an icon, sometimes you'll see St. Mary on the walls. Because it's her protecting this city. There is this theme over and over again of St. Mary being our protection. Or the protection of various cities, various places. Um, How many of y'all know what Mount Athos is? Right? There's 20 monasteries on Mount Athos. It's it's a monastic republic. It is technically independent of Greece. But Greece handles their their foreign affairs and things of that nature. Um, But it is is autonomous. Right? They run themselves. Um, you have to have permission to go to Mount Athos, and no women are allowed on Mount Athos. Um, and the reason for that is the only woman who's allowed on Mount Athos Mary. is Mary. Right? And there is an icon, um, uh, the, perhaps the most precious icon of their, on the whole peninsula is one of Mary. And Actually, that's the one I'll mention later. There's another one we actually have a copy of in the sacristy, and it shows this, there's the, the, the monasteries, if you ever see them, look like fortresses, because they were. They were fortresses on the coastline, and it's very rocky. It's this rocky peninsula. Um, and pirates came to attack one time, uh, and it was the great lava that came to attack. And the monks, of course, were unarmed, and so... These pirates came up to the gate, and, and the monks met them with an icon of Mary holding it before them. The pirate captain laughed at them. 
he laughed at them. And to show them his utter contempt, he took out his sword and he slashed the cheek of the icon, of Mary on the icon. And it began to bleed. The pirates ran. <laughs> uh, never to be seen again except for the pirate captain who did return later and became a monk and stayed there for the rest of his life. That icon is particularly famous. You'll see it because it's the only one where you see Mary and she's got a scar on her cheek. It's called the Portatissa, the doorkeeper, because she defended the, the monastery as they held this icon at the door. Okay, um, I'll talk about another icon of Mary uh, later when we talk about some of her titles. So um, on December 9th, we have the conception of the Theotokos. That's what we just had Friday night. Um, that is a universal feast on both calendars. Um, on December 26th, only in the Eastern Rite, we have what's called the Synaxis of the Theotokos. And what happens is they, they start developing these feasts that they call the Synaxis. So, for example, um, the Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord, which is Theophany, right, January, January 6th, um, the next day is the Synaxis of St. John the Baptist, right? So they use the next day as a day to honor someone who was involved with the previous feast. So, of course, Mary was a little bit involved with the Incarnation. So, <laughs> so her synaxis is on December 26th. Okay. Um, question. Yes. So back to the conception. Uh -huh. If I remember correctly, the term Immaculate Conception the Catholics used is referring to Mary. Yes. Okay. But, and you'll notice I did not say Immaculate. I know, but my understanding is Orthodox do not believe in Immaculate. Correct. Okay. Yes. We covered that in a previous class, but, but I'll go over that again. Okay. Um, the Immaculate, because I meant to and I, I, I skipped it. So the Immaculate Conception is based on an erroneous understanding of original sin. Um, and it comes out of this legalistic, scholastic movement in the Roman Catholic Church where they have to explain everything. Mm -hmm. Everything must no be explained. Mysteries. There are no mysteries. That's right? And so, yeah, so they have, so to explain how Jesus was born without sin, you know, a perfect, perfect God, perfect man, somehow because of this flawed understanding of, of what we refer to as ancestral sin, um, then they have to do something with Mary, and so they say, oh, well, she was born without sin from, from the moment of her conception. But then technically the, you're going to have to do something to her parents and then their parents. See, that's what the problem is. <laughs> and, and when you do that, then is Christ fully human? Yeah. Right. He becomes some magic, non-superhuman you know, yeah. superhuman being. Now, yes, he was divine, but his, his human nature, he took on our broken human nature and perfected it. Where, so we do not believe in the Immaculate Conception because it's based on a faulty understanding of original sin. The difference is we believe in the ancestral sin of Adam and that that sin had consequences, but we don't believe that we carry the guilt for that sin down through, down through the generations. Whereas the understanding of original sin in the West uh, has to do with carrying that guilt of Adam all the way down. So they figured, well, Christ couldn't be born with the guilt of Adam, you know, uh, so Mary must not have been either. And so that's the way they do it. 
So we believe, yes, we, I mean, she was born just like any other, uh, other person. Um, she was born in response to prayer because her prayers, parents had been barren for a long time. Um, and, uh, but, so we celebrate the conception, but we, we do not believe the Immaculate Conception because it's tied into this okay. sense of guilt for Adam's sin that somehow we all carry and are supposed to be punished for. And that's not what we believe. Did you see where the Pope wants to change the Lord's Prayer? What? Mm-hmm. Yes. I saw it yesterday. What? He wants to take out, lead us not into temptation. Because he says completely out? Yeah. Well, no, no, he wants to replace it. He wants to re-transfer it. Yeah. yeah, to where the Lord doesn't lead us into temptation. Uh, I have not seen that, so therefore I will not comment. <laughs> I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. He would be right on top of that. <laughs> I was busy preparing for this class. What are you talking yes, about? I know you're you. Okay. It's pretty interesting, though. Well, I'd have to read his reasoning. He softens it. Okay. I I would not I would not have to, I I have to look at that because I had not heard that there was and and part of the one of the things that that was happening in Rome a while back it was a few years ago since I've heard about anybody really trying to push it. They were trying to push uh, the title of co-redemptrix for Mary. Oh, yeah. And that doesn't work either. No. That doesn't work either. So um, even, even a lot of Roman Catholics said, no, 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 we can't go that far. Because um, there's, there's, and again, I love our word, word roots. There's Mariology, right, which is what we're doing today, right, the study of Mary, right? And then there's... Mary all a tree. Oh. <laughs> which which is a temptation a lot of people you find in, in the Roman Catholic Church fall into because they they kind of push and her. Protestants took with and so that's far and that's why they went the way the other way and way. completely removed her. Well I have a question about that. Yes. Well, sometimes they go to the Greek church on Wednesdays and because <clears throat> they pray the small paraclesis. Yes. But it kind of makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie about Some it. Some of the translations are bad. Yeah. Some it, of the translations are really bad. It's kind of Mary Yolitris. Some, some of the English translations are bad. If you read the actual Greek, it's not bad. But but the translations are bad. I, there's sometimes I've been in church in the Eastern Rite and been, that's not a good translation. We need to work on that. They have no problem with it. The Greeks, I mean, you know, they're cool. The Greeks have bad translations all the way through. I mean, I've talked to the guys. I, my professors were the ones who did the translations, and and I'm like, did you not? Uh, what? Oh, because they don't. English is not their first language. <laughs> Regard. Yes. Um, I'm curious. Your your point, like the things you talked about with Mary protecting the holy icons. Yes. Constantinople and uh-huh. Mount Athos thing. Uh-huh. But I always think she's not the one doing the protecting. I always think that we pray to her to pray. We never pray to her to do things directly for us. Correct. Okay. So how did she protect? It was through. Okay. Why do we give her so, credit for that? So here's here's this here's the formula from the Eastern Rite, which is good, and and, and you'll hear it as a refrain through the intercessions of the Theotokos. Oh, Savior, not her, him, mm-hmm. save us. Because she's got the biggest ear. She's the one head. standing next to him. Right. Yeah. Right? Queen of Heaven. Yeah. Mom's so, so she's not, yeah. 
Okay, so here's, and here's a good example, and this applies to all the things. Okay, so um, it's one of my favorite sayings, it's not who you know or what you know, it's what you can get who you know to do for you. <laughs> right? Right? So, hey, John, I'm trying to build this building over here. And now, <laughs> you don't have to do anything except um, I'm having trouble getting the paperwork through the city. You know somebody on the planning commission. Can you maybe put a bug in their ear for me and help me get this through? Right? So, and this is where some of the word, the translations come in uncomfortably. So, to whom do I give the credit when all of a sudden my paperwork goes through? Thanks, John. Thanks, John. <laughs> right? So, yeah, some of the, some of the translations are, are bad because it sounds like we're saying, Mary, save us. But, oh, holy Theotokos, save us. Iperagia, most holy Theotokos. Iperagia Theotokos, Soslonimas. Right? Right? Iperagia Theotokos. And that's, that is, yeah. But that's it. But the, the theology behind it is just that. It's, hey, John, can you help me out? He's not doing it. He's getting somebody else to do it. Right? In the case of the saints, who is it? It's Christ. It's God. Right? Okay? So the Roman Catholic Church is the same way. You know, for someone to be named a saint, they have a very formal process. Right? And for someone to go from being blessed somebody to saint somebody, they have to have three miracles attributed to their intercession. Right? But no one's saying it's the actual saint doing the work. It's the saint praying to God for us. Okay? So, um, we pray for their intercessions, but Christ is our only mediator and advocate. And we say that every Sunday, right? So he's the only one in the Godhead who speaks for humanity because he, 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 can, he took humanity into the Godhead when he ascended, right? But we pray to the saints for uh, intercession, right? So... I'm glad you brought that up because that is a that I've been uncomfortable in, especially, and I'm like we need to work on that translation. So, um, then the uh, the, pre, the there's a feast on Fe February second, which is 40 days after Christmas, which is has two names. One is the presentation of our Lord, but also it's the purification of the Theotokos. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. After forty days, you were you could you could present yourself to the the priests at the temple and be declared ritually clean and be able to participate in functions again. Right? <coughs> so we call it the purification of the Theotokos, or but it was also the presentation of our Lord. Um, in the we don't do it in in the Western Rite. In the Eastern Rite, they do. Yeah, we do it. We we call it a churching. And it's the first time she comes back to church and has the child, and the child is taken up and presented, right? So, yeah, yeah. So uh, we still do that in the Eastern Rite. Um, then on July 2nd is a Western Rite-only feast, and it's of medieval origin. Um, the Eastern Rite has, has started to pick it up in the 19th century. The Russians actually started doing it. It's called the visitation of the Theotokos. What would that be? Magi? Nope. No, it was, it was Martha. 
Yeah. Well, no, not Elizabeth. Yes, yes. It's when she visits Elizabeth, and so it's a celebration of that. It's a celebration of of uh, John leaping in the womb at at this, you know the presence of his Lord. Okay. So one of the things we talked about uh, a few classes ago was the difference between Theotokos and Christotokos. Okay. This came up. This was Nestorianism. It came from Nestorius, uh, and this, it was in 431 at, at the Third Ecumenical Council, which was the Council of Ephesus. Okay, So what does this word mean if we just break it apart? Theo is God. Tokos is, is birth, bear, or birth giver. Yeah, Usually we use it for birth giver. We usually use phoros for like, like bearer. Okay? So they affirmed that, that Mary is the Theotokos. She is the God... The mother of God is how we normally translate it in English, okay? Not the mother of Christ. Because what, what he was saying, what Nestorius was trying to say was that Jesus was the Theophoros, that, that God only dwelt in Jesus like a person goes into a temple, right? Temporarily. Yeah, temporarily and just kind of inhabiting. Uh, not not the yeah, union of God. Yeah, not, not the union of God and man that we... That, that we say it is. So, um, so this was bad, and that's what they affirmed in 431. That, that, so in the East, this is the term that you'll normally see is Theotokos. Theotokos and the Mother of Light, let us honor and magnify in song. Um, yeah, to, uh, t- usually it's, it's translated birth giver. Or, yeah, the birth giver of God, basically, or the mother of God. That's the translation I like the best. To me, it's clear. Which one? Birth giver of God. Yeah, birth giver of God. Okay, so that's that's one of the titles of of Mary. Are there any others that y'all can think of? Just off the top of your head, what are some of the titles you've ever heard from Mary? Mother of God. Mother of God, okay. Star of Ocean or Star of... Star of... Yeah, Star of the Ocean. Uh... God, Star of the Ocean. You know, I didn't look that one up. I don't, I'm, I'm not clear as where that comes from. I've never heard that. Isn't she called the first follower of Christ? First follower of Christ. First yes. Christian? Well, I don't know. Yes. Okay. First Christian. Let's do that. Okay. One of the hymns that we sing uh, at, at the end of Matins, depending on what time of year it is. In fact, two of them, actually, of the four mentioned. Oh, Queen of Heaven, oh. right? Queen of Heaven. Okay. Be joyful, hallelujah, because he whom so meekly thou bearest, hallelujah. Any others y'all can think of? What do we? How, how is she normally referred to in, in, in the West? Blessed Virgin Mary, right? The BBM. <laughs> You'll often see that. You'll often see that as a shortcut. As a as a as an abbreviation, the BVM. So it's not irreverent no. to say BVM. You'll see it in the rubrics sometimes, just so they can save tech, save space to write it. How do Protestants say that and then say she she did not remain a virgin? That's something they really okay. So so the ever virginity of Mary was only questioned late in the Reformation. Okay, so I'm going to rewrite that instead of Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm going to say Blessed Mary, Ever Virgin, because the ever virginity of Mary was never questioned until very late in the Reformation. 
So not the East, not the West, not not the Catholics, not the only the Protestants. Nobody has questioned the ever virginity of Mary, except the Protestants, and only then some of the Protestants. Martin Luther believed in the ever virginity of Mary. Who was it, Calvin? I think Calvin, um, Zwingli, maybe. I don't remember. I'd have to look that up. Not a fan. Okay, so. Uh, yeah, that that before giving birth, after giving, or during birth, and after giving birth was virgin. Still, that's one of the hymns of the church. Um, oops, that's two classes ago. Uh, that's one class. Well, ago. they always argue that you know they say the brothers of Christ. Okay, so let's talk about that word. Well, because this word, what they're what they're talking about, this word brother, in the in in the language of in, which was Syriac, right? There's no word for cousin. Yeah. There's no word for bro- half-brother. There's no word. They just use the same word that they use for brother. It's sibling, right? Sibling would be a more accurate translation, male sibling perhaps. But, but the tradition of the church is that Joseph was much older than Mary and had been married previously. He was a widower, and he had children from a previous marriage. So that James, the brother of our Lord was actually his half-brother. Okay. But Which that makes sense. What really yeah. got it for me was how uh, at the cross, Christ said, John, your mother, mm-hmm. your son. Well, and keep, so, get, here's... Otherwise, she would go to the half, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, she'd just go to her other kid's house. Right. And James, um, it also makes more a lot of sense because... What are these it also makes sense because, you know, remember the first council at Jerusalem among the apostles? And they were trying to determine whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised. James was the leader. He was the bishop of Jerusalem. So would they have let a younger guy be the leader among all the apostles just because he was, Jay, you know, Jesus' younger brother, perhaps? doesn't make sense. So James was older. He was a half-brother. Um, and so... That's where we get that. Interesting. Um, yeah. But the ever virginity of Mary was never questioned. Certainly by the early reformers. Um, it was only later in the, in the Reformation that as they began to reject more and more of the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith, that they threw Mary out the door. In this effort to completely throw Mary out the door, they said, oh, and she wasn't a virgin. Okay. Well, because like where I, where I used to go to church, I mean, like one of the things that was said, and I've been to a lot of churches, but one of the things, yeah. oh, one of the things that was said was, well, they didn't come together until after we should be. Oh, and that's the other word. Oh, that's the other word. Until, until, that's the other word that catches people. There's brother and there's until, right? It does talk about them. You sounding like Joseph and Mary. No, it says that they, they that he knew her not until after well, he didn't know her at all. You can say the word until, you know. You know, I haven't married until I'm fifty. Well, I'm guess what? I'm still not married. You know, <laughs> right? So that word until don't let that trip you up either. That's the other one that trips people up. So. Okay, so here's there's a couple more of these titles, and I want to talk about some of these real quick. They also talk about Panagia, right? Panagia, which means all holy. Pan is all, Agios is holy, right? 
there's a type of icon actually of Mary that's that's called Panagia. Um, the time you, that where you hear this most is um, in the Orthodox Church. The the way you can tell a bishop from like an archpriest is an archpriest wears a cross, right? But a bishop wears a Panagia, which is an icon of of Mary on a necklace. Uh, it depends. Well, it, as long as it's an icon of Mary, that's, I mean, on a necklace, kind of, that's what distinguishes a bishop. There is a distinct style of icon that is also called Panagia, um, because there's different types. I mean, you know, all the, the, there are very few original icons, and that's for a reason. We, you know, we, we, we don't like to be original in the Orthodox Church. So, most icons are copies of others. So, there are, there's a class of icons called Panagia, and they show Mary in a particular pose. One of the things they discussed in this video was um, that Mary is rarely seen in an icon by herself. Why? She's always with Jesus. Because anything we say about the Theotokos actually is referring <coughs> to Jesus. Okay. So, for example, we call her the Ark of the New Covenant. Right? Why? Because Jesus was the New Covenant. What were the three old covenants? The three big old covenants. We talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the, in the liturgy we say, this is my blood of the New Testament or the blood of the New Covenant. What were the three big old covenants? With whom? There were three men. Abraham. Mm -mm. How about if you build this ark? Noah. Yeah. So the three big covenants in the Old Testament were those with Abraham, Noah, and Moses, okay? And each of those required a huge leap of faith, didn't they? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, Abraham, uh, you know this son that you struggled so many years to have? Yeah, I need you to kill him. Okay, God. And he was ready to. Okay, Noah. Noah, your neighbors are going to think you're crazy, but I need you to be a really big boat in your backyard. <laughs> and get two of every animal and stick on there. Okay, God. You know. Uh, Moses, um, yeah, I need you to, I know you've got the good life in Egypt, but I need you to take all the Hebrews out of Egypt. And uh, don't worry about Pharaoh, I'll take care of him. Okay, God. <laughs> and walking into the sea. And walking into the sea, yeah. yeah. And, and I'll lead you to this promised land, which is way across this desert that you've never been across. And uh, But you'll get there eventually. <laughs> well, they did get there, but they had to wander around. And who didn't get there actually? Moses. Moses. Yeah, Why? Because he had he had doubted. He had done twice yeah. on the rock. Yeah. So, the three big covenants: Abraham, Noah, and Moses. Okay. So one of my favorites is um, more spacious than the heavens. Platitera tun uranon. Okay? Now, the platitera in, in, a, in an Eastern Rite church is when you walk in and you look above the altar and the apse has Mary huge with her arms wide spread and Christ sitting in, in, Christ in front of her. That icon is known as platitera tun uranon, more spacious than the heavens. Why? What makes Mary more spacious than the heavens? She's holding Christ. Who's more spacious than the heavens? 
Well, God, yeah, he's God, right? God is infinite. What can contain God? Nothing. But she did. So she is more spacious than the heavens. Figuratively. Figuratively. But, but, but it's, again, it speaks to the incarnation. That she is the mother of God. The Theotokos. Okay. Um, so, in fact, here's... Um, the liturgy of St. Basil has this. It says, All of creation rejoices in thee, O full of grace, the angels in heaven and the race of men. O sanctified temple and spiritual paradise, the glory of virgins, of whom God was incarnate and became a child. Our God before the ages, he made thy body into a throne, and thy womb more spacious than the heavens. All of creation rejoices in thee, O full of grace, glory to be to thee. That's from the liturgy of St. Basil. Okay. <clears throat> and then the other one that I is that you'll hear, especially in the uh, Eastern Rite, because it and there's it's said in every Vespers, I believe every Matins as well. Um, more honorable than the cherubim, and more glorious beyond compare than the seraphim. Thou who without stain bearest God the Word, and art truly Theotokos, we magnify thee. That was actually written in the 700s, um, but but it's also incorporated into a hymn. Um, called Oxyonestine. It is truly meet and right to call thee blessed. Uh, so, uh, thou will be ever blessed and most pure and the mother of our God. And the Oxyonestine is interesting. I've, I've actually been to where it was first sung. Um, it was uh, the, the second part, which the first part, which was actually added to it later, uh, was um, added by a monk on Mount Athos. And uh, there was an elder and his apprentice, and the elder said, I have to go over here and, and to this other uh, place to, to pray with these monks, so you go ahead and say here, and you say the office here. Well, as he's getting ready to say the office, this unknown monk that he didn't know came up and said, can I say the office with you? And he said, sure. And he says, what's your name? He says, Gabriel. And... Um, so they were saying the office, and when it got to the end, this monk, Gabriel, sang this song. That, or he said this, this it is truly meet and right to call thee blessed, more honorable than the cherubim. And the other monk, the apprentice, says, can you write that out for me? And he says, sure. And he took a roof tile, and with his finger wrote on it like it was a tablet of wax. And I realized... This isn't the monk Gabriel. This is the archangel Gabriel. And so when his elder, when the elder came back and he showed him the roof tile, oh, and then the, 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 there was an icon of Mary that was in front of them, and it glowed with the uncreated light. Okay? That object is viewed as the most sacred object on Mount Athos. It's kept in the church of Caries, so there's 20 monasteries, and in the center of the island, up on top of the kind of the ridge, um, is Caries, which is the administrative capital. It's also where all the heads of the monasteries come to meet to discuss things and things of that nature. Um, so in that church, we we gathered and sang Oxyonestine as a group of seminarians. Cool. It was really cool. But uh, and that, and I didn't know this story though about Gabriel until until I was looking for this class. But yeah, he wrote, and the tile then was taken to Constantinople. So, um... Does it still exist? 
I don't know. I don't know, because we lost so much. Yeah. If it wasn't the Western Crusaders, it was yeah. the Muslims. Um, when, was, when was that? Sorry. Uh, the original hymn was written, the more honorable than the cherubim part was written in the 700s. And then when uh, did the tile happen? Uh, I don't have that written down. If you look up Oxion Esteen. Was he, it before or after the 700s? Oh, it was... It was before the schism. It was like 900s or something okay. like that, I think. So, um, yeah. So those are two of my favorite t things. Oh, and then the third one, which we don't hear about a lot in the West, is the life-giving spring. Life-giving spring. And there... You'll see icons of this. It's called Zoodotos Pegi. Okay? And the story is that um, this man named Leo was wandering outside the walls of Constantinople. And there was this thicket, and it was kind of overgrown. And uh, he came across a blind man. And the blind man said, can I have a drink of water? And he didn't know where to find any water. And this voice told him, dig through this thicket, there's a spring here, and if you take the mud and rub it, and take the mud and rub it on the blind man's eyes. So he dug through the spring, this thicket, and found this spring, and gave him, the, the blind man, some of the water from it, and rubbed the mud from the spring on the man's eyes, and he was able to see. Um, Leo, the man who gave it to him, became Emperor Leo, uh, and when, after becoming emperor, built a large church around that spring. Um, it's been torn down and rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt, and right now there's still a small chapel. It's currently a small chapel. The Muslims allowed a small chapel to be rebuilt around it. Um, but uh, you can actually go and visit that spring. It was uh, Zoldokos Pegi, um, and it's still there. Um, there was... Uh, and, and there's there's all kinds of miracles associated with that. So you'll actually see this icon of, it looks like Mary in a fountain. And that's what it is. It's Mary, the life-giving spring. So, um, so like we said, we honor Mary, not necessarily for who, I mean, we honor her because she said what? Yes. Yes. She said, thy will be done. Right? Which is what we're all supposed to say. So we honor her... Um, as uh, the source of Christ's humanity, right? Uh, we honor her for being, like you said, the first Christian, the greatest missionary, because she shared Christ with all of us. Um, we honor her for all kinds of things and, and, and all kinds of miracles that, that have been wrought through intercession to her by God, you know, by us, uh, that, that God has wrought. So... There's one more video I want to show you real quick. It's only about a two-minute video from... It's more Steve. If, if we can get this turned back on. And this one we want is... Be to be... So now we're going to watch... B to B 14. Hey everybody, this is Steve.
even the universe is a wonderful place. Can you tell this is an earlier video? Steve's a little younger in this one. From incredible landscapes on Earth <coughs> to beautiful scenes in space, there's so much beauty in the universe. So many things to inspire wonder. And perhaps there's no greater wonder than what happens on Christmas Day. Take a look at the hymns of Christmas. There's a link in the description. They beautifully show how the nativity of Christ turned the whole world upside down. He whom nothing can contain has been contained in a womb. God who created the universe, who is infinite, who can't be contained by the universe, suddenly allows himself to be contained in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Fleshless as he was, he willingly took flesh. God, who is beyond even spirit, who is invisible, who is infinite, decided to take on flesh, to be hungry with us, to be cold with us, to bleed with us, to die with us. And while departing not from his own nature, he shared in our nature's substance. The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, became man and never stopped being God. He was weak as man and strong as God, finite as man, infinite as God. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> there is nothing I can say that would do this justice. Nothing. All we can do is cry out from the depths of our souls. Christ is born.